so while they're so while they're doing that, so I'll give you. I, I think Paulette really set it up perfectly. Um, I did speak to a class. So I'm friends with your pastor, Josh Gray. He's a really, really, really good guy. That's my. She said, "I'm sorry." No, Josh. Josh is a is a really good person. You know, I know you guys think that. I think he's doing a great job uh, for the kingdom. He's a really good man and. Uh, I so how we started how I started being friends with him is I had attended a service and he uh, I noticed he had a, a black gentleman uh, come in and speak so another one of his pastor friends and uh, I have uh, you just heard me say my dad's a pastor so I'm from Arkansas I'm, that's where I grew up so uh, I'm used to the South I love the South you know the South has a lot of plus and minuses and and some of the minuses are. Uh, yeah, I seldom meet a person in the South who's not nice, right? We're nice, but uh, a lot of times our niceness covers up some things underneath that are not very genuine. And so I grew up, uh, my dad is a really good speaker. Like he can speak to any crowd. He can speak to, he can, and so he would get, he would get called to all kind of churches. His ordination is Baptist, but my dad would get called to like white Catholic churches. Is they wanted to hear him talk, and so my family was is respected in my little my little small town of Wynn, Arkansas. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. Yeah. Uh, where are you from? Dresden, Tennessee. Okay, but you know where Wynn is. I know exactly. Who who else is? Where, where y'all from? Our kids live in Searcy. Oh yeah, my mom went to Harding. Yeah. Yeah yeah, my mom, my mom had a doctor from Harding. And when I played at uh, I played basketball at Washington Baptist and Harding was in the conference. Yeah. So Cersei used to uh, I was number fifty two, and I was a, I was a leading scorer. So Harding used to be like fifty two, start the bus. When they back on the bus, they used to uh, yeah. It was fun though because that crowd was rowdy. I was like, I thought y'all was Church of Christ. We Baptists, we supposed to be the, you know, y'all supposed to be the nice Church of Christ. And they were the hardest school to play at. But I loved it, though, because I, I like the heckling. That, that, made, that made me go drop 20 on them. But, but anyway, so, okay, so, y'all, yeah, I'm from Wynn. So, um, so, anyway, like, I would see that, and then I would see other things underneath that were... I don't, racism is a strong word, I tell people that, because racism indicates hate. So I tell people, watch when you use racist, because it, it's very, people's antennas come up. But uh, I often say people have racial blind spots, right? Because I don't think the average person just wake up in the morning, I hate, you know, I don't, I just don't think that. Uh, there are people who are like that, but I think a lot of people just have racial blind spots. And I think where we don't hear each other <laughs> is somebody says something, then someone else says something, and there's buzzwords, and then everybody's fighting, and nobody wants to talk. Whereas, like, you know, you can be kind, and you can listen. So I learned that a lot of our my beautiful white brothers and sisters would smile and stuff, but then when you go a, a level deeper, sometimes it was like it would get a kind of waste. So my point is I'm talking about Josh. With Josh, I saw depth to him. I saw levels. I saw that, that there was more than a surface, smiling, nice southern white guy. So I immediately liked him, and uh, I think he thought I was a little crazy, but he was being real nice, and then like he found out. So then, uh, that's how I ended up speaking, and that's how I met Nan Smith! Because she was in that class, and then I think she also thought I was crazy because I called her and I wanted to be friends. But it's, I was like that, I'm like that cat that you feed one time and that. <laughs> so anyway, I love I love that lady. That's that's my lady. Her last name is Smith and my last name is Smith. So I told her we're cousins. We're cousins. We're cousins. All right. So today, uh, so y'all's class is about telling stories. I have good stories to tell you today. Paulette is right. Um, I told a story to her about a man named Raymond Washburn. He's a blind. He was a blind man. He just he just passed in January. But uh, he was a blind man who is credited with rescuing five people out of the Oklahoma City bombing. He ran the snack bar <clears throat> on the fourth floor of the Alfred P. Murrow building. You know why I like talking to people y'all's age about this? Because y'all remember the Oklahoma City bombing. Because that was the first like real domestic terrorist scare America had. We've had we had had a few episodes, but that was the first like oh my goodness. And then people in Tennessee, in Arkansas, in Mississippi, Alabama. 
we all were like, Oklahoma? Yo, how would you bomb Oklahoma? Like, you remember, that was the weirdest, scariest. And I'm from Arkansas, so I was 11 when it happened. But I was, like, old enough to know it happened. And my parents would be watching the news and stuff. So I obviously have much more of an understanding of it as an adult studying it than as an 11-year-old. But I was in the fifth grade. And I remember... I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And you know, it's kind of like one of those reporters said, this is not something that happens in Oklahoma City. This is like Beirut or, you know, at the time when there was like all that going on in the Middle East, like Oklahoma City. So in Arkansas, we found out that McVeigh had actually looked at, Timothy McVeigh, the bomber, had actually looked at Little Rock as a target at one point and they didn't pull it off. And so I want to give you a little history of it um, before I talk about uh, these people's stories because I think it'll give a good context and probably refresh your memory a little bit on the bombing. But uh, so Raymond, when I mentioned the Alfred P. Murrah building, it was a federal building. So if you remember, Timothy McVeigh was a disgruntled army veteran, a decorated army veteran. That's what shocked America is a decorated army veteran. Uh, he was became disgruntled with the uh, American government for a, a number of rather extremist reasons, and he wanted to target. And that's that's uh, y'all remember Terry Nichols, his co-conspirator. Y'all remember that guy? So sorry, that's kind of mid video, but anyway, they uh, they targeted. It actually had nothing to do with actual Oklahoma City. It was that they were trying to find a local federal government building, so they were trying to find a soft target. It's a little harder to go to the United States Capitol, right, and do something like that. It's a little harder to go to a bigger city. But Oklahoma City, remember, it's 1995, and they're still a pretty nice, quiet town. It's it's a little more of a city now, but it's still a town. I've spent a lot of time there. But 1995, Oklahoma City, quiet. You know, just folks minding their own business, you know, just doing whatever. And so, you know, Timothy McVeigh targeted that building. It's right in the heart of downtown. It was federal. It had, um, y'all may remember, it had the um, like a Department of Labor building. It had um, some military offices in there. It had Social Security. You need somebody, sir? I can count. They had Social Security in there. Y'all remember they had, you know, federal employees. So the majority of people in that building were just federal employees. Or they were customers going to different floors. Like they were going to the Social Security office to take care of business or whatever. So these are... The, the crazy thing about all that, everybody in that building was a law-abiding, good person, citizen, obeying the law, doing something they're supposed to be doing in the building. Then, you guys may remember the second <coughs> floor. What was on the second floor was that daycare. And you might remember that those babies dying. And that's really what kicked America in the gut. Um, and uh, I'm going to let you watch this video first, but I want to... I'm kind of like my dad, like Baptist preacher. They tell you what they gonna tell you, and then they tell you, and then they tell you what they just told you. So I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna tell you, which is, which is okay. So there's a back joke. So y'all remember that, right? I saw y'all nodding. Y'all, y'all, y'all remember that. And then, um, you know, people always that people kind of ask me like, oh, is, is Timothy McVeigh dead, and or is um, Terry Nichols dead? So Terry Nichols is serving consecutive life sentences in maximum security plan, uh, prison in Florence, uh, Colorado. And then, um, you know, Timothy McVeigh got the death penalty. So actually what was interesting, I always thought George W. Bush, um, for whatever people think of his politics, I think is one of the most, I think after he's probably dead and gone, people are gonna appreciate him a little more because that man had a lot. Like when you, if you go back and look back, George W. Bush took office, he got elected in 2000, he took office in January 2001, okay? in June of 2001, puts Timothy McVeigh to death, right? That's like a big job for him, for his administration, for the Attorney General. Then what happened five months later? Y'all remember? 9-11. So you literally put the the bomber to death of the Oklahoma City bombing, and then five months later you have 9-11. Like that man had a lot going on. So, um, but yeah, people ask me that a lot because they can't remember what happened to McVeigh. But yes, he did get the death penalty, um, and then he, got a lesser sentence because he wasn't actually there, you know, lighting the bomb. He just helped him put it together, which is still awful. I say just, it's still awful, but he helped him put it together. So there's the backdrop. 
The people I will tell you about, one of them is Raymond, who worked on the fourth floor of that building. He, he ran the snack bar. So if you wanted lunch, if you wanted coffee, uh, those Secret Service guys would go in there and get their cigarettes, whatever. They went to Raymond's floor on the fourth floor. I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about this guy. Y'all remember him? Captain, well now Major Chris Fields, uh, the firefighter. I'm going to tell you about him. That's an awful picture, isn't it? Um, I'll tell you about that guy and a couple other stories if we have time. But those are my two that in my film, I've got that big, strong hero firefighter, and then I've got a blind man. And both of them saw unspeakable things. Y'all follow me? And so um, when I wrote the script and I did different revisions of it, you've got this, you've got this big, strong, healthy firefighter, and then you've got this, this blind Native American man, and they both, their stories converge. Y'all want to see that movie, don't you? <laughs> so, uh, so that's what's called the live action full feature film. Um, so that's the one with like real actors and stuff that I'm <clears throat> trying to push to a bigger studio. Then the one that Nan and uh, Paulette know about is an animated film that I'm doing just animated like a cartoon that I'm doing just about Raymond Washburn, the blind man. So I'm actually gonna let you hear a little bit of audio from my actors that recorded that. So before that though, here's a 10, 20, okay. This is a video that just, I think really reminds people of that day. While that's playing, I'm on. Is there a ladies' room right there? Okay. So I'm gonna play this. Let me make sure it works first. The audio. It's coming through here though. It's not coming screen. Usually it's the source. It's isn't going it's like it's not it's not hitting the television. Hmm. Hold on, yeah. Have y'all had something from here to a computer for a sound here? Okay. That I don't know. It's an HDMI cord, right? Yeah. Right, it's HDMI, it which usually goes into the TV. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you're saying it does go into, okay. It's just got Man, I want y'all to see this video. You go to the restroom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's woman vibes. You know what I want to say. There you go. We're going to get Scott in jail for over here, so. Let's see if it'll. Wait, is that the problem right there? Yes, set her up. Yeah, the blue button there at the bottom. Hover over the video. This blue button right here. If you'll increase that, that's the volume button. Yeah. All right, hold it a minute. There you go. So let's just see. Yeah, it's just on here. That's it. It's just here. Here, let me plug it in here. Because yeah. it, it can see it. Yeah. What control do you have there? What control do you have there, Jim? Um, 
my glasses case. We reply back here. We have to plug it back in. And so now it's too loud. So we're good. Just a second. You now do it. Plug it back in? Yeah. Now try. Because I was like, it's HDMI. Was it at the beginning? Yeah. Should we turn the light on? Yeah, yeah, I'll get that on the way. Thank you. Uh, oh, let me make sure. Try again and we'll turn down the light. There we go. It's not on yet. Oh, let me play it. April 
bring back some memories, don't it? That is uh, something. Um, so, well, this is a little distracting here. Let's see. I'll just put that one up for now. Um, so, the question I usually get from people is, why did you get off of the Oklahoma City bombing? Are you from Oklahoma? Are you from, no, I'm not from Oklahoma, and I didn't know anybody who was a victim or, or I had no connection. I, uh, y'all hear this voice, I had a radio show at one point, and this woman uh, came on as a guest, somebody else actually asked, could she come on, and I owed him a favor, so I said fine, I, I was, I'll be honest, I was disengaged in the interview, I really was, but she had a book she wanted to push, and uh, I'll be honest, I was, I was disengaged because, you know, when you want to push something on my radio show, I want you to, I want you to buy some ads, so she didn't want to buy ads, she just wanted to be a guest, but, Anyway, her book was about this bombing. It was about her losing her grandchildren. And she lost two. She lost two grandsons, and she had, had been helping to raise them. So um, it was tough. And so, but what got me was she talked about forgiveness. And I said, hmm. I said, what now? And she talked about forgiving the bombers. And I started to question my faith a little bit because I said, uh, I tried to think if there was anybody, let alone a family member, but if there was anybody I personally cared about, a friend, anybody who had passed away in something that tragic at the hands of a maniac, could I forgive that maniac? So that started my journey on wanting to tell a story called Beauty for Ashes. And I took that from Isaiah 61 and three. Um, I think that's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Isaiah is one of the best prophets. He, he calls ahead to Jesus a lot in his writings. So he basically explains who the Messiah will be in Isaiah 61 and 3. And of the list of things he says that the Messiah will do, he says he will give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of grieving. And I do have a heart for people who have grieved, who have suffered a lot. Um, unfortunately, I know a lot of people who have endured a lot of tragedy. So I think that's the kind of burden God put on my heart is to care about people who have gone through that. And so I felt like I had a message not only for the people of Oklahoma City, but for the world that that is who the Messiah is. So if somebody says, well, are you stretching that a little bit? Well, if you go to the book of of Dr. Luke when he wrote uh, about the account of Jesus revealing himself in the temple. When Jesus told them who he was, he quoted Isaiah 61. And he, he stopped just short of the, the, the beauty for ashes part, but he, he basically said, I am this person. So in these stories, um, in these stories, you will see images of Christ. You'll see, I know that's a hard, that's a hard photo to, to look at for a long time, but that is Major Chris Fields at the time. He was Captain Chris Fields. That man was only 31 years old. He was a young father, a young husband, um, had about, at the time of the department, he had been there not quite 10 years, I think, at, with the Oklahoma City. And uh, he always says, he always tells people, I was one of several firefighters that day pulling people out of the rubble. And he happened to be cradling one-year-old Bailey Almond at the time that, you know, obviously the media found out and they were they flooded to the site. And this actual amateur photographer uh, just had his camera and he just was out there taking pictures. So that was back in the day when you would take uh, the film to Walmart and get it developed. And so nobody knew about this until, but he, he was out there taking snapping. He didn't even realize he had taken this photo. He's just snapping. He goes to Walmart and the person developing the photos at Walmart called him and says, sir, do you, do you know what you have in this role of film? And he said, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, I know it was bad. And I took a lot of pictures of a lot of injured folks. He said, no, there is this fireman cradling a baby. Y'all remember that, right? Y'all remember that was everywhere. Um, that ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize, that photo, because what it was, was it told America, like it told the world, 
this this is this is the Oklahoma City bombing. This is the bad. This is the heartache. This is terrible. This fireman, it, this picture's a little grainy, I guess, showing up here, but his look of compassion on his face, he, you know, him raising his visor and looking down at this baby. And I asked Chris, I said, Chris, what, you know, what were you thinking? Which, of course, everybody asked him, what were you thinking? And he said, I looked at that baby, and he said, he said, one, I saw my son, because I got a son the same age. And he said, two, I said, some parent's world is going to be rotten today because he knew that, that that baby was dead. And there's a thing called agonal breaths that are just left in a body, but basically like, the baby died. So he was holding the baby, and he, actually he said what he was doing, he was checking her vitals, he was thinking that, knew she was gone, and that's why his face fell, because he like, she's gone. And there was a, in a wider aerial shot, there's a EMT, there's a guy on the ground, and he's doing this, and so they had run out of room in the ambulance trucks for bodies. And the babies, like you heard the, 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 the nurse, that lady, uh, she was a um, paramedic. And she was saying, we had to lay them in the playground, man. They couldn't play anymore. That got me everything. The first like three times I saw that clip, I would just start bawling. But Chris told me what she was talking about. They were out of ambulance trucks. They were just putting bodies. And so they were like, man, y'all just, you know, y'all got ladies, babies over here. Like, we'll be back. We, you know, bring some more. And so this particular baby, um, a police officer had found her first. And police officers are not trained in, like, triage, like, EMT services. Firefighters are actually, like, they really shouldn't be called firefighters. They should be called emergency fire fighters because they do everything. They can, you know, so they're trained in medical triage. So he said, I have a, his name was Sergeant John Avery. Police Sergeant John Avery said, I have a critical infant. And he's hollering and, you know, the firemen are all busy. Well, Chris just turns around and says, I'll take her. So there's another photo of him doing this that also got a Pulitzer Prize. He's doing this and the police officer hands him Bailey. And then that's when Chris is like, oh God. And so he's like looking for where they're putting the babies. And he sees a paramedic and he says, no signs of life. So he's going to do that, but then the paramedic says, um, I'm not going to put that baby on the ground. He's crying. He's hysterical. I mean, can you imagine that? Like, you've responded to a lot of events, but, like, just it's hard enough to see a dead child, but then, like, you seeing a whole bunch of dead. So he finally was like, I, I'm not putting, I don't know why he said that about this particular baby, but he said, I'm not putting that baby on the ground. So Chris said, okay. So the EMT grabs something and he's making a pallet and he said put her on that So while he's doing that, that's why he was holding y'all understand what I'm saying because like people were like how It looks almost posed right like they're like how is he holding that but that was the backstory So I've gotten to know Chris I've gotten to know his wife Cheryl and um, they are beautiful people <clears throat> the Lord has healed him of his very severe PTSD that y'all can imagine he had the reason why I had it, and this, this, I just, I also in my script wanted people to really appreciate first responders. They just do a lot. They do a lot and, and they see a lot. Part of his PTSD was having to continue reliving this because of the photo. So America and American press and American media obviously were like, the compassion, it just kind of ran. They didn't, they weren't trying to give him or that mother of that child, Aaron Alman. PTSD, but can you imagine if you're trained, if you guys know a firefighter, they're trained to file it, go to the next thing. You file it away, go to the next, you keep working, you file it away and go. Well, you can't file something away if they, if you keep, you know, and they keep, and he felt a responsibility to answer the interviews, to be, he knew, like, in his mind, he said, America's looking at Oklahoma City, America's looking at our fire department, so if they want me to talk to the media, I need to respond to these requests, and it, he paid a terrible price. Um, he paid a terrible price. But he, if you, if Chris was here today, you, you would never know that man went through what he went through. He, um, his marriage broke up for a little while. They separated, um, but they're reconciled. And man, that's beautiful, y'all. I think I think reconciliation is a beautiful thing. And so he, um, I told Chris, he's kind of a. His story kind of is like a Christ figure in, in my movie because in there's a savior aspect of it, there's a compassion aspect of it in the middle of this chaos. 
that is like Jesus having us. And so he kind of let me do some things with his story. And uh, that's my brother, man. Chris Phillips is my brother. He's a, he's a good guy. But I can't wait for y'all to see the movie and, and, and see his story. Now, that will be the one with the real actors and stuff like that. Um, this, is, this is me and Chris with his wife there. So we were all dressed up at a, a, a gala. It was a charitable gala. Y'all see him? He looks happy, doesn't he? Yeah, that's my God, man, that's him. So the next part, next person I want to tell you about, got eight minutes, is that is Mr. Raymond Washburn. So he is the, he is the gentleman who's blind, who um, ran the snack bar. And so uh, what happened was he was born, Raymond was born blind. So Raymond has never, he never saw anything. Born blind as a baby. He's a member of the Native American Yuchi tribe of Indians, uh, part of the Muskogee Nation. And so their motto is called Children of the Sun, which I thought was interesting because the love in Raymond's heart illuminated the darkness that day and got him to lead those people out of the building. So when you're blind, if you guys know anybody who's blind, they have a very strong sense in their other senses. They can smell really well. They can hear really well. What gets me is, you know, if we all closed our eyes, right? If somebody else came in this room and started moving around and y'all didn't even see them, you could feel their presence, right? God gave us that. Well, imagine not being able to see all the time. This man all the time was having to go by that sense. So he, Raymond became very self-sufficient. His parents actually didn't want him to leave the house. Um, they wanted him to kind of stay home and stay in the community and stay around people. He said, no, I want to live. I want to live a life. He got married. He had a daughter. He had grandkids. <laughs> and he learned how to work. And so there was, a, bill, there was a, a program that the government sponsored that allowed blind people uh, to work and own their own business. And so he owned this snack bar. He had taco potatoes, sandwiches, salads, coffee, candy. Those sweet children on the second floor, the daycare, they would come down once a month and he would clean out all his inventory. He would give them popcorn and candy and Coke and stuff like that. So when he found out those children died, he was, he was quite hysterical. Um, when he would walk up the walkway to the Murrah building, his wife would drive him to work. And they would, as soon as he was about to get out the car, she'd say, Raymond, the kids are waving. You know, and they'd be pressing up against the window, and, he'd, and so he he'd do that, you know, with his cane, and he'd wave. The, they knew that was Mr. Raymond, uh, and so man, that still that still gets me. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, the bomb happens, and y'all y'all remember the building, right? It like blew the building off. So some people unfortunately were plunged to their death below. Raymond went this way, so he went back into the building, and so did some of his customers, they went this way. So the ceiling is starting to fall on them, there's debris everywhere, and of course he can't see. What is the scariest thing to a blind person? You disorient them. They can't get their, you know, it's, <clears throat> they have a rhythm, they have a path, I've got my cane, I know where I'm going. Well, a bomb, and of course, they don't know it's a bomb, it's just there's an explosion, there's smoke, there's just, you know, nobody knows exactly what it is. But they're screaming, his employee also went back. She, she went back in the kitchen. She flew back this way. <clears throat> so all of a sudden he's hearing voices and they're screaming, I can't see, I can't see uh, the smoke, I can't see. Well, Raymond can never see, right? He can never see. So he tells his employee, Kim, who's nearby him, help me to my feet. So she helps him to his feet and he's doing this. And I, I never forget, I went to his house and I got his story. He said, so I reached for my cane, and my cane wasn't there. <laughs> and he said, uh, that, that, gets, that gets scary. So, because it's, where, where am I, right? And then he's feeling, you know, debris, he's feeling. Then he said, I knew I was in trouble when I smelled that. You know, there's smoke, and then there's fire smoke. There's and it was fuel oil, so it was like, what is that? So he knew there was trouble. He's hearing, I can't see. So he gets low. He crouches back low on the ground, and I guess he, I guess he, he said that would help them hear him better or something, but he said he gets low and he says, hey, follow the sound of my voice. See if you can get to me. See if you can crawl. And he just keeps talking. So they crawl and they get to him. And he says, now get up. 
and they have to get up. These four customers have to get up. So he says, march. And he, he I don't know, how, I, I think it was the Lord. I don't know how he orients himself to know where he is, but there's a back door. Now, what he told me is often instead of taking the elevator, he would take the back steps because he wanted to walk up and down the steps. So he orients himself. He says, let's go march. And they march to the back steps. And Raymond, the blind man, leads these people out of the building. Ain't that beautiful? So my short film, I hope I didn't confuse y'all with all my projects. My short film, it's called a, a short film is under 30 minutes. So my short film is 14 minutes. My short film is about Raymond. It's just, it's about him and a couple of firefighters that are in his story. And um, it's called Walk in the Light. And uh, I had already recorded the audio and written the script, but now Raymond and his wife, they don't do technology. <laughs> so I, I never could email them anything. And so it was kind of a process of me calling folks in Oklahoma City, hey, can you print this script, take to them? Well, nobody did it. I said, okay, by the time I do that, I can just mail them the script and just postal mail. And I did. Something told me to do it. I had an urge in my heart. Heard them mailed them that script. I mailed it to him. His wife, Mary Lou, called me. Princella, we got the script. I'll read it to Raymond. And I said, hey, I need y'all to legally sign the release so I can do this. Can y'all go on? I know I've already recorded it with the actors, but can you, can you sign the release? She said, I'll, I'll read it to him. I'll call you back Sunday or Monday. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure he'll sign it. She called me Monday morning. Mary Lou never calls me in the morning. It's always in the afternoon. They take their time. They sleep. They do what they want. They're retired. They do what they want. So I was like, why she call me in the morning? So I was like, she must have really liked my script. She called me and said, Princella, Raymond passed last night. That was January the 16th. That was January the 17th. He had passed that night, Sunday night. And uh, I was like, wow. He only had a few health problems. It was sudden. I know I got to hurry. I got to admit it. Uh, it was sudden, and he died in the bed. She said, Priscilla, I read him that script. He signed the papers. Uh, the next day, he was in the bed, and he went to heaven. And you know, y'all, I still miss him. I still miss calling him. But I couldn't be too sad. And I thought, that man's profitable life is going to profit the world with the power of his story. He, I feel, y'all, I'm not trying to be spooky spiritual on y'all, but I feel like Raymond had a sense of completion. I told him, I had actually told him on the phone, hey, man, I can't wait to tell the world your story. I think in this time of darkness we're having right now, they need a story of light. I said, the love in your heart illuminated that darkness. And I'm going to tell the world, Raymond Washburn. I'm going to tell them. So... Uh, sorry, God, it still gets me, man. I still, it still gets me. I actually gave the eulogy at the funeral. The family asked me to give it, and uh, I didn't cry. But uh, you know what I cry? I think about the fact that this man never saw, and the first thing he saw was heaven. Um, he opened his eyes in heaven. Uh, it's 1045, y'all. I didn't even get to. Y'all got to go. Y'all going to church? Y'all going to service? Y'all already been? Well, go ahead. Who, who going to church? Y'all going ahead. Who still has to go? <laughs> well, it, doesn't, it doesn't start till 11. So we okay, I was. I mean, I can keep going. I'm almost. I had a little more I wanted to tell you, but y'all keep, keep going. Let me get that. Let me get some water, man. Uh, um. Yeah. So to me, uh, to me, that was God showing me something there because I really felt the need to isolate his story from the other stories. And you might be wondering why I chose animation. So animation, have you guys, you guys probably got kids, grandkids. Did you guys see like, for example, uh, Beauty and the Beast? Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Did you see Lion King? You know, you can put some heavy, powerful messages in animation. And I just felt like a 14, 15 minute animation about this man and I've got him singing, uh, like singing a song of the Native American tribe. I actually wrote the song uh, using the Soyaha, which is the motto of their tribe, Children of the Sun. So the lyrics of the song are Soyaha, Soyaha, walking in the light. Soyaha, Soyaha, my shadow is so bright. So he's telling the story 
of the bombing to his grandchild, Ayana. And so he's helping her know this is who we are. We are children of the sun. They are Christians, by the way. Um, at the funeral, there was a, um, a powerful Native American minister who did the, like, the officiating. I gave a eulogy, but he, did the, he ran the service. And he said, I want to tell y'all something, because we had media there, we had cameras. Uh, I used to work in PR in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill. I used to be a news commentator, Fox News, CNN. So I, I've lived like three lives. And one of my lives was being in politics. So it's funny how God will take those skills and tell you to use them. The family, uh, I started talking to them, and they were like, hey, I said, hey, do y'all mind if I tell the media that Raymond passed? I feel like they would want to know this. And they said, yeah, go ahead. So I crafted a press release, got that thing out, put it out, and the media ate it. I mean, it was on CNN, it was on ABC, it was on NBC. It was obviously the local Oklahoma affiliates covered it. Then local affiliates in Boston, Milwaukee, Chicago, everything. So my friend owns a TV clipping service. I said, hey man, I'm trying to get every clip. I'm trying to get every news story about Raymond. And I'm compiling, I'm gonna give it to his family. Y'all, I had so many clips. And it was like, this man's a hero, this man's a hero. And I just felt like the Lord was kind of letting me know, hey, when you, when you tell this story, like, the public is going to consume this. Like, they're, they're going to, don't y'all like this, a blind hero, man? It's like, so, so, uh, so I did that. And this, na anyway, Native American minister's there, and there's a whole bunch of press at the funeral. And he said, I want to tell y'all something. He said, it is, I don't mean this to sound don't be offended. Listen to what I'm saying. He said, nobody white told us about Jesus. <laughs> we already knew who Jesus was. That's a misconception that some Europeans came over here and converted Native Americans to Christianity. He said, we know who it was. And he gave the Native American name for Jesus. He gave the Native American name for God. And I was like, oh, boy, you're preaching. He was, he was getting it. He was getting it. And uh, I, was, I was amazed. Because he wanted them to know Raymond Washburn was a believer and he's with his savior right now. I thought it was beautiful. So I want to show y'all a news story. This is one of several about Raymond. But oh, he's closing the door. Okay. Thank you. January 16, 2022. 
at his home at the age of 75. A true Oklahoma hero. In fact, former Oklahoma Governor Frank Keating, who was in office at the time of the bombing, sent a letter to Raymond's widow, Mary Lou, as a token of appreciation. It was read at the funeral. I am grateful for Raymond's role. He comforted and cared for others at a time when goodness was essential for civic survival. We shall miss him. God bless Raymond Washburn. Raymond was a proud member of the Yuchi tribe, Native Americans here in Oklahoma. He also had ties here in Green Country as he attended the Oklahoma School for the Blind in Muskogee, where he also became an Oklahoma State Wrestling Champion. But most importantly, he loved people. His story touching lives of those he didn't even know. I certainly miss him. But what he carries and what you will carry the rest of your life is the authority that he carried. Wow. I've never heard his story before. We heard about his passing this week. Well, I haven't perfect. either, Shay. I uh, grew up here, as many people know. I was in third grade when the bombing happened, and so I've lived here my entire life, but I had no clue what that man did for those people that day. Something, ain't it? Yes. Yes. All right. So now y'all see why I got so much passion about it. Sorry. All right. Watch that, didn't we? So here's the last photo I want to show you. Well, I want to show y'all this. It's me and my friend Raymond. <laughs> yeah, man. I promised him. I said I'm gonna tell him. I'm gonna tell the story, man. So, uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm doing that in animated form. And I want to uh, acknowledge Paulette and Nan. They don't want me to do it. I'm gonna embarrass them a little bit. They've contributed financially to to the project uh, to help me get it out, and I've been able to uh, to pay for actors to do to do the voicing. I found a fantastic Native American actor who actually his voice sounds just like Raymond. It was like creepy. He's not that much that much like Raymond. Um, his daughter voiced the granddaughter part, which was great. Uh, Nashville has a lot of talent, <clears throat> so I had a lot of local actors come in and voice the rest of the parts, and so that is done. Um, and man, I wanted to let y'all hear a part of that, but uh... okay, it's okay. All right, <laughs> I'm not offended if you get up and leave. I, I don't. I mean, I'm not. I worked in politics. I'm used to folks getting warm now. Literally, I'm serious. Y'all think I'm playing? I'm serious. Um, uh, so the reason I wanted to to say that to you is um, we we had a we had a limited budget and we're, we're still you know um, receiving contributions to it but people have been so beautiful in, in contributing to it and and every time I've just seen the Lord work and make a way and provide to get it done and so uh, can y'all can y'all give a round of applause though for Nan and uh, Paulette yeah. um, for, for contributing and you know their contributions mean more to me because they didn't really know me like that and I just told them the story and so to me the story moved them to contribute you know and so uh, God bless that and y'all uh, be, be praying for us as we continue to, to co collect donations and, and contributions for that I think I've done well with the funds we've received so far you'll hear this part my music guys it's called a film composer that's that person's job that does the score does the music his name is tyler michael smith he is the extremely talented dove award nominated son of the great michael w smith and uh i said boy who is your daddy because when he when he sent me that music i said you good but boy i, I listen some of that's genetic i think you got that from your dad but he's extremely talented i tyler's man he's when you're a creator like me, I wrote the script, right? But you hear the actors voice it. But then when a person puts music on it, you just like, what? So I want you to hear this. This is, um, I'm going to give you a little background of what you're hearing, okay? So the way I structured the animated short film is uh, Raymond is telling his story to his little granddaughter, Ayana, who's about eight. <clears throat> so... He's telling his story, but also there are two heroic men who rescue two of his friends. So he talks about one of his friends that died. One of his friends named Jamie died, but several of his friends died. But he talks about one friend, Jamie, who died. And then he talks about these other two women who are rescued 
one by a firefighter and one by just a man who ran in. Now, all of this is true, by the way. These are real people. So that's, just give you a little context, that's what you're hearing. I know it's hard to hear and not see, but see if y'all can go with this. Okay. Customers were the ladies from the bank on the third floor. Terry, Jamie, and Karen, the women of the bank, will help you save your money and spend some too. <laughs> it's a cartoon, remember? Are you three ever in a bad mood? Well, there just simply are not enough hours in the day to give any time to a bad <coughs> mood. Not even a second to a bad mood. Except when these two are hungry, they get very cranky. <laughs> Free ice-cold sodas. Just how you like them, ladies. Thank you, Raymond. You are simply the best. The best there ever was. But then, one terrible day, a, bomb a very angry man decided to end all of that. served at least 100 of them in my snack bar at some point. And you favorite friends? Jamie, Terry, and Karen? Karen 
story, Grandpa. This was a big day. This is what you brought me out here to tell me. This is why you have a scar. Ayana, you've asked why I have the scar on my arm, but have you ever read the bracelet that hangs below it? You haven't learned the language of our tribe yet. But we will start today. So Yaha, the motto of our people, the Uchi tribe. That song you sing. Yes, it means children of the sun. We walk in the light, Ayana. <coughs> the powerful thing about nature is that no matter how dark it gets, the sun will always rise. This was the darkest day anyone could have imagined. But in any dark place, all it takes is one flicker of light to illuminate the darkness. Rowdy Baxter? Illuminate? Make it brighter. Oh. And it appears to have been some type of massive explosion. Hundreds of people are trapped and in need of serious help. Thank you, ma'am. I gotta go. Please help me. It's hot. I can't breathe. Hurry, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Going as fast as we can, sir. strangers to Alan Hill and Rowdy Baxter, but in the midst of the darkness and fear, the light from their hearts shined with courage and love. And they did the impossible. They saved my friends. All right, so that's cartoon Raymond right there. They did a good job, didn't they? And then uh, what you just heard right there was those two firefighters saving two of Raymond's friends. So anyway, did my actors do a good job? Yeah. Did my position yeah. do a good job? All right, so I lost some of my people who were gonna sit still for that. But uh, you guys are awesome for listening. I hope those stories blessed you and encouraged you and uh, 
just y'all pray for us. And um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, Paulette and Nan has my has my information. Any questions? Priscilla, I just want to say this was so timely because some of us, a lot of us went to first service. Uh-huh. Some of the, them that had to leave are going to second service. Okay. And what they're going to hear is the story of when Jesus healed the blind man. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's that's the, that's the story today. Which, uh, which, do you remember which blind man it was? Uh, what you, when he made the mud. Made the mud. He made the, yeah, and he said, yeah. uh, go wash your eyes in the pool. Yeah. So, amen. Well, I, I thank y'all for your patience. I hope you... I hope you were inspired and entertained. Bless y'all. And I will, bye I will bye. tell y'all if you are in the if you haven't done it, if you're in the Oklahoma City area, you have to go see the memorial. It is it's really the, good. It is really well. Done. One of the best things I've seen. One of the best in the country.